Stevens. The time is 12.10pm my time on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, wasn't that wonderful? <laughs> you just listened to uh, God Save the King. Um, it was really an, an homage to the national anthems we've heard at the uh, World Cup. Uh, bloody awful. And um, believe it or not, that version of God Save the King that you heard was a, was a, a complete orchestra but I ran it through a, a voice filter on TikTok and it turned it into that monstrosity you just heard. Um, and I bloody loved it. Wouldn't you love to hear that the next time England play? I don't remember how bad the English uh, anthem was. I say English. It's not really English, is it? But that's another another matter altogether. But I remember listening to the opening game, New Zealand against France, and um, the French anthem was so awful that it scared me. It was It was horrific it sounded like a weird demonic choir um but it turns out it was just children which is very similar um and a bunch of french people uh do you know what when i heard it i remember laughing and going this sounds bloody awful but i assumed it must have been you know very often they're out of sync aren't they because of the way the sound travels so people at one end of the stadium will be singing a slightly different part to the other side and it sounds it looks and sounds like people are just completely bloody awful and can't sing in in unison, but actually, it's 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 a sound issue. You know, it's um, sound just just doesn't travel fast enough, does it? Sound needs to take a cue off of light and get its fucking act together. But anyway, that wasn't the issue. It was actually awful. They were doing some weird shit. Everyone's been talking about it, and uh, God, it is awful, isn't it? Um, to be honest, though, I don't get that enthusiastic about the anthem when England play anyway. God save the king. Does anyone really like it? Some people do, and they're strange. But most of us find it weird to be singing about um, royalty and saving royalty. I think Eddie Izzard once said uh, about the God save the queen. Um, that's already one uh, pretty bloody saved queen. I think he said he said something like that. Basically, she doesn't really need saving. She's the queen. She's got a great life. And uh, now she's dead. So, should have thought about that, Eddie Izzard. If only God had tried harder to save her, we'd still have a queen. Not that I give a shit. Okay, what a terrible intro. Uh, I've got a few things to talk about today. Um, it's the World Cup. It's great. I'm loving it. Um, R- England won. England weren't absolutely terrible. That's great. But don't worry, there's lots of things that piss me off. Even things that England have done that have got on my nerves. So, um... We'll just get cracking on this. I don't have time for any bullshit. It's uh, Rugby Ranter Banter, episode 189. Let's go. is a house of cards and it's ready to come tumbling down 
you know, I thought that would get your attention. That sounds cool. I'm talking, of course, about red cards, yellow cards, wild cards, all of the cards that are ruining our fucking lives as rugby supporters. Now, you're either on one side of the argument or the other, as far as I'm, as I'm concerned. You either think that rugby is a horrible, dangerous game and we have to stop the injuries and head trauma um, at all costs, even if it means completely ruining the game as a spectacle, or you're a reasonable person, a real rugby fan, who says, hey, guess what, motherfucker? High tackles have always been illegal in rugby. Tom Curry isn't deliberately headbutting someone as he tackles them. And no amount of banning, penalizing, fining, public shaming is going to stop these incidents from from happening as long as rugby union remains a contact sport where you're allowed to tackle each other because there will always be errors in judgment, miscalculations. They're playing... It, 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 It blows my mind. Now, really quickly, just to interrupt myself, I'm echoing the sentiments of many, many people. And I've listened to a few podcasts. I've watched a few YouTube videos where people make this exact point. But I have to make this point because it's also how I feel. And now I've lost my train of thought. God damn it. See, this is the problem with me being Eddie Stevens is I have uh, ADHD uh, where I uh, constantly sidetrack myself. It's like it's like having somebody in the room who interrupts you all the time and then you can't focus on your point. And I just did that to myself. But you get the jizz of what I'm trying to say, right? Um World Rugby is obsessed with trying to make an inherently game, an inherently unsafe game safe. They bow down to, to pressure from social media. That seems to be um, the dictator of who gets penalized, who gets banned, who doesn't. And by the way, I don't want to go all Razzie Erasmus on your fucking asses, but without a doubt, look at what happened over this opening these opening uh, matches. Um, what the fuck am I trying to say? During the opening week of, of the World Cup, we saw, I think, three cards. A red card, a yellow card. I take that back. We had a red card, a yellow card, and a no card. We had three not cards. We had three high tackle into Well, we had multiple high tackles, didn't we? The majority of them got nothing. One got a red card, one got a yellow card. Now, if you told me to guess which nation the red card came from, I would have said, uh, was it England? Because England has the spotlight on it all the time. Now, the the anti-English haters, who are everywhere, something I'm going to talk about in a little bit, there's an anti-English sentiment that flows throughout rugby union. Um, They'll all say, yeah, I could guess it was England too, because England, with the likes of Owen Farrell, uh, have a problem with committing high tackles. Well, if you just watch... Just look up a cursory glance of the opening matches this week. We'll show you multiple high tackles, pretty similar in terms of danger, um, impact. And uh, and actually, when you look at them all, and you look at the Tom Curry one, his is probably the least egregious because his was the only one, I think, where someone was actually coming out of the sky, which is, you know, this is the thing. They're playing international rugby. A hundred miles an hour, high intensity. It, it, it's almost impossible to get the time. Well, no, it is impossible to get the timing right a hundred percent of the time. 
Tom Curry's not a fucking idiot. This idea that, like, what is the point of giving him a red card so next time he thinks twice before tackling someone? He's not going to do that. He's playing international rugby in a World Cup. He needs to win. If he hesitates, we're fucked. I'm getting, look, I'm all over the place with this. I just really wanted, I just thought it was cool to say uh, World Rugby is a, is a house of cards. And, I, and it's a great title for the for the episode. And I got so many thoughts around this that I've already expressed and aren't even particularly original because I think you either agree or you don't. It's like all of us, you know, most of us agree that there's too many cards in the game and they are spoiling the game. And the reason there are too many cards is because there is an unrealistic expectation amongst certain members of the rugby public to make the game safe er right because you can't make it safe otherwise it's not rugby the risk is the reward um and other sound bites that i've said a hundred times i'm done with the whole card thing but you know what i'm saying i i don't know about you but i i probably do know about you it would be nice if they were a little bit more reasonable with the cards given out. Yes, also consistent. No, I take that back, though. Some people are saying they just want consistency. No, none of the cards I've looked at deserved more than a yellow. Sorry, none of the, the high tackles that I've seen deserve more than a yellow. Um, and in the uh, England-Argentina match, something I'm obviously going to be talking about later, um, there was the Tom Curry one, the Mateo Carreras one, not Mateo, sorry, uh, the other one. The other Carreras, uh, both to me were just weren't that big of a deal. Like the Tom Curry one is the timing is it's a tricky tackle to make. He messes it up a bit. I'd have been happy with them both getting yellow cards or penalties against them. A warning. What I would have, what I think would have been would have been reasonable with Tom Curry is there's mitigation because the guy's literally falling from the sky. Um, but it is still an illegal tackle. So just a penalty, uh, be very bloody careful. And the same really with Carreras. Um, but make no mistake, this isn't going to stop. It was, lots of people predicted it before the World Cup. There will be important matches, um, influenced the outcomes dictated by a card. Now that England Argentina match. If England, if England had lost, we'd be saying that red card potentially cost, cost England the game. Sorry, I'm having a hard time speaking for some reason. It potentially cost England the game. The, the, but because it's England, we're actually better with less than 15 men for some insane reason that maybe I'll try and clear up later. I don't know. But that's all I have to say about the cards thing. Isn't it fucking annoying? I really wish that the people... I, do you know what? I really wish the people obsessed with trying to make rugby union safe would just find another sport because every time this happens, every time I find myself just logically going, God, this is annoying. All these noisy fucks trying to ruin this game. If only there was, maybe there's another game that we could enjoy. If only there was a game where consenting adults could, you know, accept an element of risk to play a primal physical contact sport where they can enjoy themselves knowing that the risk is the reward if only we had that sport oh wait a minute we do it's called rugby so why do we 
have to find or create a new sport because that's what they're doing. Rugby is becoming unrecognizable from what it was when it was at its best, right? Why do we have to bow down to these people and shift and change? Why can't they go somewhere else? Just go somewhere else. Do something else. There is no way that the way that that these weirdos feel about rugby, they're not rugby fans. And like nothing they I don't understand why they can't see that. Every single thing they do to try and mitigate, to try and um, um, lower the dangers involved is ineffective. Like, okay, so you you make the tackles lower. So we are definitely going to see a significant rise in. I I wouldn't be if they if they if they change the laws at professional level to what it what they are they are trialing. I believe. At the amateur level right now in England, where you have to tackle, was it below the navel, below the below the waist, whatever? It's below the waist essentially, right? So you cannot hit anyone around the sternum. You cannot. I mean, you can't smother tackle, right? Um, I would find it miraculous if we don't see a rise in concussions, because all you need to do is like get someone who's terrible at tackling. How do they tackle? It's not low. They tend to go high. And the reason is, it's way scarier getting your head down around knee level. And the reason for that is it's fucking horrible getting hit in the head with a knee. All the bad injuries that I've seen on a rugby pitch that, you know, other than breaking bones and stuff, all the bad tackle-related injuries came from someone going low and getting a knee to the fucking head. Or the I played rugby with someone who broke his jaw because the guy's knee hit him in the face. And don't get me wrong, you need to make those tackles. You do need to be able to tackle low. I mean, it's a fundamental of the game. But, you know, if I'm playing rugby and someone's not, you know, depending on the circumstances, if I think I can make a big hit around chest level, I'll do it. Or if I'm feeling like a pussy and I just want to grab a hold of them around their shoulders, I'll fucking do it. Got totally sidetracked. All so that I could say to you, House of Cards, so I could make this episode called House of Cards because it's a clever idea, but poorly executed. Let's move on. Uh, England versus Argentina. Now, there's a lot of positives to take out of this, obviously, but I want to start, as is my way, with being quite negative. First of all, I may have hinted at this earlier. I can't remember because I deleted an opening segment. And I don't know if what I said got deleted or not. But there is an anti-English sentiment that flows throughout all of international rugby. Okay? And uh, fuck, where are my notes? What have you done with them? Here they are. Um, We're all very well aware of it. And I'm just talking on a... um, It's not even... It's just a thing that we've all accepted. Everybody hates the English. And, you know... I don't want to go all, I don't want to cry about it. I'll leave that. I'll leave the crying to the South Africans and the Celtic nations. But um, it does bug me sometimes. And sometimes it is just a jealousy thing. Like um, I was saying the other day, I was looking at the Argentinian fans and they're all so emotional during the, not just, not just during the anthem, in the middle of the game, in the middle of the game, they'll just pan to the crowd and it'll be an Argentinian holding their fucking heart or holding their flag crying <laughs> it's like someone just cried and it's funny I, I i 
I do feel like sometimes I get jealous and I kind of wish that I could have that level of passion when England play. But then I also am really glad I don't because I find it slightly pathetic. It's kind of stupid. I think this is the curse of being English. We're too um, aware of the, what's the word? What's that fucking word? We, we, we get, we find things embarrassing don't we? Like, it's like, yes, I'd love to be really emotional and passionate about England, but it wouldn't be very British, would it? And, um, but the other thing I noticed is I kept seeing these Argentinians crying and being emotional. And then I realized every fucking time they pan to the crowd in this stadium, it's an Argentinian. And very rarely was it an Englishman that I would see. And I'm willing to bet there were more English people there than Argentinians. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because there is a global conspiracy to thwart the English and make us look like twats. Um, I am kind of sick of it. I'm, I'm sick of it. And it gets back to the, to the, you know, the tackles, the red cards, the things like that. There's any time an Englishman makes a tackle remotely, remotely high or every non-English fan is up in arms about it. Their players will, players will do it. No one gives a shit. And if you, and by the way, I seen on Twitter, people point that out, just pointing out, Oh, look, look at this tackle from Dan bigger. That's as bad as Tom Curry's or Owen Farrell's that he got a huge ban for. And he didn't even get penalized for it. Then you're accused of being anti Welsh fucking bizarre. Um, but I'll tell you this much. Everybody hates the English. And they hate the English rugby team, including sometimes me, because it's been so hard to be an England rugby fan recently, hasn't it? Over the last few matches, England have been completely incompetent. And I'll tell you what I don't like. I'll tell you what I don't appreciate is now that England played a good game and won quite comfortably and weren't totally useless... I don't appreciate the passive-aggressive tweets from England players like Courtney Laws, who I love. Um, passive-aggressive tweets about supporters who didn't, you know, those of you who never gave up on us. Like this, they're kind of like, yeah, thanks. Some of you are fucking just pieces of shit, um, fair-weather Johnson fans. But some of you are real fans who stuck by us through, stood by us through thick and... Th- no, 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 listen. I'm a fucking England rugby fan. Every time England played, I cared. I supported. There are some English rugby fans who actually start not watching rugby because of it. And that's not good. I will always watch England, you know. I might not want to pay money to go and see them live or anything, but I'll always watch. I'll always support them. I'll always want them to do well. But you cannot have a hold a grudge as an England player against the fans after the, the dog shit they've been serving us over the past season or so, you know? Um, that annoyed me. Uh, but anyway, looking at the actual match itself, some of the negatives. Early on in the match, it didn't look good. Like, no one's really talked about this, but very early on in the match, there was... Um, well, I don't want to talk about any of the positives yet. I'll tell, I want to get rid of the negatives so I can be more positive. Um, at one point early on, I remember Alex Mitchell picked to go. So Alex Mitchell there to do this very thing, speed things up. There was one ruck early on where he picked up 
stepped, looked one way, looked the other. Nobody was supporting him. No one was running off him, and they had plenty of time. So he kind of had to stutter around for a bit. Eventually, he, uh, I think he ended up giving the ball to Ellis Gensch, who was basically standing still. Um, and he, uh, he, 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 Ellis Genge got driven back. And then the only thing that saved England's stuttering attack was the first George Ford drop goal. So if you look at that drop goal, it's great. But what led up to it was basically England was so incompetent at speeding the game up, at, at playing rugby, George Ford had no choice but to drop it. Unless, you know, it's possible that the game plan, everybody knew George Ford was going to go for a drop goal. So when Alex Mitchell picked up, they were like, what are you doing? We're doing a drop goal. Fuck. We, I can't know. But it, it was something that stood out to me. And then the, the worst thing that we did later in the game was England did the unexpected um, for outside of the box, tried to, be, tried to uh, play some real Harlem Globetrotter stuff, and they passed the ball down the back line, and they had an overlap. And they tried to pass the ball and get it to the winger with an overlap and maybe score a try. But because it's England and they are incapable, completely incapable of of handling a simple overlap, instead of uh, drawing in the men like you would, literally like an amateur team would do, drawing in the man, passing, creating the overlap and scoring, they threw it sideways slowly and then Johnny May just jogged into touch it was it's something that scares the shit out of me because for all the stuff that england did well if you can't do the basics you can't beat the likes of south africa or france or new zealand or even maybe australia at this stage you know um did i say ireland fucking forget ireland um there's no chance and it's concerning, and I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Like, maybe I'm just being completely unfair, and maybe, maybe trying to do something that looks simple at international level is actually the hardest thing on earth. But I feel like if you took a fucking average sort of championship rugby team, uh took a back line and said here try and score against these two or three defenders you have three or four in attack they're going to score more often than not and england don't seem to be able to do it what is going on who runs the england attack by the way right now and i know nick evans was helping for like was it one match two matches i don't know but would england look better if he'd been there the whole time i don't know but it's concerning so in this game, there were still times where England looked a little bit clueless. And when it comes to actually running the ball cohesively, um, we're incompetent. Now, those are the only real negatives. Let's look at the positives. Jesus Christ, you know what I realized? I didn't write down anything. Okay, well, it doesn't matter. I had two negatives I wanted to mention. The positives are obvious. The intensity at the breakdown was it was like another team playing. Similarly to the attack, the back line, where I can't grasp how it is there that, that they're not capable of uh, of doing this. 
in the in the the preceding matches to this one, England didn't seem to be able to muster up the enthusiasm and the intensity of the breakdown, something that you would expect to be the bare minimum for England, right? Um, but this time it was a it was it was back to oh okay good this is an international England want to win they're playing as if they're playing like they want to win right that was great the defense was outstanding for the most part um albeit against a terrible Argentina side I suppose I could have listed this under the negatives for this match yeah it was great to get the win. And we won comfortably, except we let them have that consolation try at the end, which really pisses me off, by the way. No one else cares. I care. I didn't want them to get that try at the end. I wanted the scoreline as big as possible, and I wanted to... I think it's embarrassing that they scored a try and we didn't, okay? Um, But the defense was good. Really good. I I wasn't worried. And actually, it's something I'm, I'm usually too scared to do. I said I was getting comfortable. I was feeling comfortable that we were going to win shortly into the second half. Once it became clear that Argentina, if it's possible, were even more incompetent than England ever are. Like, it, it, they played like England. Every fucking attack they got, if, on the few occasions they managed to get the ball, you know, get a hold of the ball and, and mount an attack, they would either drop the ball throw it forward or give away a penalty. I mean, they were, they were worse than England. They were, that was a re- if I was Argentinian, I'd be really pissed off and embarrassed about that. And Michael Checker afterwards, he basically said it. He was like, everything that went wrong, could have gone wrong, went wrong. It's the worst we could have played. It's terrible. Um, so it's a bit worrying because it's like, it's hard to know what to take from this uh, game. I was trying to do the positives, but I'm just too negative, aren't I? Like I said, uh, Intensity of the breakdowns way better. A number of big performances: Ben Earl, Courtney Laws, um, Alex Mitchell. Great, obviously George Ford with the drop goals. It was great to see him do those three drop goals. I actually don't think that George Ford was as amazing as people are, act, are acting like. Um, because look, what's the fly half's job? It's not to kick points. I mean, it can be because goal kicker, kicker can be anywhere. It's to control the game, to dictate how the game is played, and that involves accurate kicking and also unleashing your back line. Now, I'm not saying it's George Ford's fault that Johnny May ended up running into touch after a butchered opportunity, but I don't feel like George Ford... Don't get me wrong. I'm happy. With, I thought it was a good performance by George Ford. I'd probably, you know, I do uh, letter grading for my players. I'd probably give him a B. But I mean, these three drop goals, yeah, that's great. But his tactical kicking, for the most part, was also good, but not always. He did some... A lot of his kicking was way too long. And he also got fucking run over a couple of times. And I'm not sure that he did anything that Owen Farrell couldn't have done. Maybe he did, you know? I mean, it's not like George Ford does drop goals all the time, though. If that's the tactic, I'm pretty sure Owen Farrell could probably get you some drop goals if they if they, they decided that was the game plan. Um, having said that, when Owen Farrell is fit, should he take over from George Ford? Well, I think that depends. Uh, I can't remember when Owen Farrell comes back. But I don't, I don't think it makes much difference who you have out of those two. Um, Owen Farrell, a bit more physical. Um, do you know what? I'd probably say Owen Farrell is probably a bit better than George Ford. 
I think that people exaggerate his flaws, and I don't think he's the problem with the with the like. <laughs> I'd love to see Marcus Smith get a full match. Hopefully, he'll play against um, somebody starting at ten, and I'd like to see if he's able to get the backs. Well, this is the thing with Marcus Smith; he's always fucked because no matter what, ha- if if he doesn't play great, everyone goes, "Oh, here you go. Here's your prodigal son." And then you say, well, we never said he was a prodigal son, just that he might be our best fly half. And then um, someone like Owen Farrell or George Ford doesn't play well, and it's someone else gets the blame. And if Marcus Smith does play really well, they'll say, well, who was the opposition? Oh, well, the pack were playing better. Oh, well, these people will help. You know, it, it, you know. But uh, I fucking, I got, I got so bored with what I was talking about just then. I can't remember where I was going with it. Um, it doesn't matter. The overall, given that I assumed we were going to get spanked by Argentina, I did. I thought we were going to lose badly. Um, until, to be honest with you, the national anthems and the kickoff, I started thinking I, there was a different vibe, wasn't there? There did seem to be a different vibe, which just goes to show, no matter what they say, I think the issue for England has been predominantly about attitude. For whatever reason, they were not fired up enough. They were not, they didn't care enough. I don't know how that's possible at international level, but you could feel a difference in the way they, they approach this game. And by the way, that could have something to do with why Argentina played so bad. The intensity of England's defense, the intensity at the breakdown, you know? Um, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, we went down to 14 men early on, which always helps us. Imagine how much we'd have won by if we only had 13 men. We'd have fucking put 30 points on them. Um, what else was there? Uh, the scrums and the lineouts were really good too, weren't they? I mean, basically, it was an almost perfect performance from England. We just don't know how to score tries, and we don't know how to get the the back line moving. I thought Manu was good, got us some good go forward, good in defence, of course. Marchant good in defence, didn't have a lot to do. Not a great game to be a winger, but I didn't think Daly was great. He made a couple of mistakes. Um, again, though, what could you do in that match if you're on the wing? Freddie Stewart was good. Although, what happened with... Do you remember when Freddie Stewart was... When he went up for a high ball, it was like a foregone conclusion that he would have the ball when he landed. And it's completely gone now. It's completely gone. When was the last time you saw him rise above everybody else and take a high ball? And, like, it, it, maybe it's, it must have happened, right? But... I don't remember it happening in that match or the match before or the match before. I feel like every time he goes to take a high ball now, the ball is going to bounce off of him or off someone else. He's never, it's, it, it, something's happened. It's changed. But he's still, he's still good in most other aspects, and his defense isn't as bad as people like to say. Um, what else? I mean, the biggest uh, change in this England team, I, I think, has been bringing Alex Mitchell in. Uh, just for raising the, the the pace of the game and doing what we know. And by the way, he sniped a little bit a couple of times and probably just the right amount for this match because, you know, if it wasn't the game plan to just keep things extremely tight and, and kick penalties and drop goals, if it wasn't the game plan, it should have been because it's exactly what we needed to do for that match. But in future games, I'd like to see Mitchell snipe a little bit more even. And I'd like to see the players around him sort of in sync with him mentally 
Um, and the fact that Alex Mitchell, a guy that wasn't in the Rugby World Cup squad to begin with, that so many of us knew he was the best on form, best scrum half in the league. The fact that he had to come into the England team this this way by somebody getting injured, etc., is a bit concerning, isn't it? But I do feel a bit embarrassed. Sorry, I do feel. I did feel a little bit embarrassed, or not embarrassed, but maybe a little bit ashamed of myself after the match, listening to Borthwick talk. Maybe. Listen, I know I'm guilty of this. I've always said it's a good thing I'm not a head coach because if one if a player had a bad game, I'd make sure they never played for England again. I'm very quick to criticize. I'm very quick to come down hard on certain players and coaches. And I basically wrote Steve Borthwick off as a complete mess and a bad decision after the, well, I don't remember when. At some point after one of these catastrophic losses, I started thinking, sort of looking at him as a bit of a joke. And all it took was this one win for me to go, okay, maybe he does just need time, you know? But you know what? If we play badly against Japan, I'll go right back to demanding he's fired. So I just can't help it. I'm wildly emotional. I'm a Scorpio. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Anyway, but that's it. That's my England summary. I give the whole team uh, probably a B, but in terms of effort, and it's 100% mission accomplished to get that win the way we did against Argentina. I realistically, I couldn't have been happier after that match. Okay. Now moving on a little bit. Um, speaking of being happy and, 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 uh, and rugby and, uh, um, you know, I was complaining about anti-English sentimentality. The people who take that, that kind of attitude, that victim mentality, the furthest are the South African fans. They have been driving me crazy again on Twitter, they literally, at one point, well, first of all, let's look at the match, South Africa against Scotland. This is what I hate. I don't want to be angry with South Africa. I don't want to be angry with their fans. And I certainly don't want their team, I don't want to want them to lose as much as I do, mainly because they're so fucking good. That's something that cannot be denied. The South African, this this South African rugby team is the most complete team in the tournament and most likely are going to win it, okay? I know a lot of people think France are going to win. I mean, that's the only thing. France or Ireland, France, Ireland, South Africa are so close that it's almost going to be a bit of a coin toss between some of them. So hopefully we get, I get lucky and South Africa slip up against one of them because from what I've seen, they are the most complete. Um, and there's something about them, and it comes down to mentality. I mean, physically, they're incredible, right? They have everything you need to win. They have size in the right places. They have, not talking about penises, chill out. Although, can you imagine? They got size and physicality in the right areas. They've got tactical noose in the right areas. They got insane speed and athleticism in the right places. They are, as I said, the most complete. And their mentality is their biggest strength. They know how to grind out wins against anyone. There's just something about, there's a ruthlessness about the way they play. I think they are the ment- mentally the strongest team in the tournament, which 
beggars belief when you look at the mentality of their fans, their supporters, who just seem to be a bunch of crybabies. They're never, they're never satisfied. They just have to constantly be victims. They had, they literally at one point on Twitter, somebody tweeted something about how Richie McCaw was involved in some rugby world cup promotional thing. I don't know what it was. And saying it should have been a South African. Why don't we get like, what? Like how, Babies, like, why would it even cross your? It's Richie McCaw. He's a legend. I, I, as an Englishman, I'm never gonna. I mean, even if we were the current World Cup world champions, I can't imagine going. Why do we not have an Englishman? We're the world champions. Why do they have Richie McCaw? What's Richie McCaw? Shut up. He is who he is. And then just all of the comments afterwards, just supporting it. Just they're obsessed. And then I got into it with some at certain points because they really do think that there is a, I'll tell you what, they really do think that there's a global agenda against them. Um, and very smart, do you know what, Razzy Rasmus might be the greatest mind in rugby right now. Because what I've noticed is after his unforgivable assault on the spirit of the game, accusing Nick Berry of being racist. I've gone over this a hundred times. It was disgusting. But do you know what I saw in the South Africa-Scotland match? At one point, the referee, I forget who it was, uh, apologized to the South African captain three times for for yelling at him because he didn't realize he was the captain or something. But I, the third time he apologized, I just thought, yep, uh, that's a good idea. Now no one can, can accuse you of being racist because it was, I forget his name, the South African hooker or who I think is really good by the way. But he's like kissing his ass. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, mate. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. It's like, please, please don't, don't, don't destroy my life after this match, which is what, that's something I want to talk about in a minute too. The way that people go after referees is a bit, it's more than a bit too much at this point. But anyway, that's why I say Razzy Erasmus might be might be the greatest mind in rugby because he's actually gone from being world champions to now being the best team in the world and probably having an edge when it comes to the officiating decisions because no one wants to upset him or them or the you know the fans. I really think that's a thing. But no, I don't think that that was Razzy's plan. I think Razzy Erasmus genuinely believed what he was saying because he cannot he cannot escape his insanity and his bike he's slightly unhinged excuse me um moving on from that though I feel like I complain about South African fans every week like I said if they were shit at rugby I'd just ignore them but it fucking pisses me off because they are so good um the best match of the week, according to most people, was Wales against Fiji. And you know, it makes me sad, though. Like, I watched this match. I'm not one of those people. Let's be honest. If you're an England fan, you usually want Wales to lose. Um, but I, I've always had a quite a, a, an affinity for Welsh rugby. I think it comes down to when I was, when I were a lad, when I were a young lad, we used to go on holiday to Wales quite often. And I love the country. I love the castles. I love the dragons. Not the rugby team. The actual, there's actual dragons in Wales. I love the, even the people. Like as a child, I really loved it there. 
and I loved that they the 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 passion that they I, at least I thought they had for rugby. Maybe it's changed now. Maybe it was never what I thought it was. But I've always like had a respect for Welsh rugby. I've always liked a lot of their players, and I've always uh, kind of honestly rooted for them. Certainly when they're against Southern Hemisphere teams, and that's what it all comes down to. I I don't know why. Hang on, I've got to sip some coffee before I die. Oh fucking Christ! It's cold. Bullshit. Freezing cold, my coffee is. I'll do my best without it. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. I pretty much always root for the Northern Hemisphere team when they're playing a Southern Hemisphere team. And I don't... I, don't, I do know why. It's because I come from a time when uh, Southern Hemisphere rugby was so dominant so dominant in the sort of mid to late 90s and a lot of the early 2000s with the exception of when England won the World Cup that was kind of an an anomaly wasn't it generally and it's probably still this way actually what am I talking about South Africa nine times out of ten well not nine times but more often than not is going to be England is going to be Wales is going to be Scotland um it's certainly going to be Italy Ireland now, who knows? France is a bit different. Um, actually, yeah, you know what? It is a bit more even now, isn't it? Because Ireland and France, it's Ireland, France, South Africa, New Zealand. They're all really, really good. And I feel like everyone else is a little bit behind. But anyway, um, I do always root for the Northern Hemisphere team, though. So when Wales were playing against Fiji, I know everybody loves Fiji because they're fun to watch. But I do think it's become a bit trendy to just like want to suck their fucking dicks like it's just everybody obsessively loving fiji i don't love them in fact they scare the shit out of me i've said this before i don't know i don't care what this says about me as a person years ago when everybody and they're still doing it was desperately trying to help polynesian rugby uh they looked at the the financial struggles they face, the administratorial, if that's a word, issues they faced, all of the issues they faced, and and they were like, this isn't fair. They don't have the same opportunities. They there's not a level playing field for them to compete. We need to make it more level. I said, no, don't make it more level. Hold them back. Keep them down. Don't let them exploit the talent they have. Because if they do, they're going to be too fucking good. And that's what I'm worried about. And so I don't want that to happen. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I was watching that match and I was enjoying the game. And I did want Wales to win. But I wouldn't, you know, I do, I do, I enjoy good flowing rugby as much as the next guy. So I do like the Fijian team and I enjoy, but goddamn, terrifying, aren't they? So I watched just full disclaimer. Full disclosure, disclaimer alert. What fuck of Christ? You know what I'm trying to say. Um, when I looked at those teams, I watched. Oh, this is the disclaimer. I only watched the first half in full, and then I watched the highlights of the second half. Um, but when I looked at that Fijian team in the first half, I just thought to myself, it, there is so much physical threat throughout that team. Okay, if you look at the best teams in the world right now, you look at Ireland, South Africa, New Zealand, France, there's a few players where you go, oh shit, that's a guy that needs to be double teamed because they're so physical, right? 
They're so dangerous. When you look at the Fiji team, it's almost every name on the sheet. And so I was looking at that and I was like, every player here needs to be double teamed. That indicates that this team is not going to, you can't beat them. How are you going to beat a team where man for man, they have this physical edge? Like bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic, and more skillful. So I'm looking at this this game. Wales, who are not a great team right now. Although interestingly, talking about whether saying the you know I just said the Fijians were bigger man for man. I think their packs were identical weights, but I think a lot of that was Francis. Anyway, uh, Will Rowlands is a big fucker, isn't he? But still, that was interesting. But at the end of the first half, it was Wales were ahead marginally, and I couldn't figure out why, because, like I said. On pay, I mean, just looking at the stats physically, this Fijian team should be destroying them. And what it always used to be traditionally with the, with the Polynesian teams is, yes, they have physical threats across the fucking team, but tactically they're naive. They make a lot of mistakes. They give away a lot of penalties. And that's how you beat them. But that's not the case now. And it wasn't the case in that half. Fiji weren't, you know, tactically, they looked more competent than Wales. They seem to be making fewer mistakes than Wales. Their scrummaging was great. Their lineouts were great. How were they losing? Now, some people will say, oh, because of the terrible officiating. I didn't notice that in the first half. Presumably, it got worse in the second half. And look, I watched the highlights. This is what I took out of, of the game from watching the full first half and the second half highlights. A very entertaining, exciting, closely fought match with Wales just nicking it. Now, what everybody who's watched it, and I have to concede, maybe if I'd watched the full second half, I would have agreed with them. But everyone seems to be saying that Fiji got robbed, that the referee, it was the worst refereeing they've ever seen, and it was a disgrace, and Matthew Carley, the referee, should be publicly flogged. And maybe they're right, like I said. Maybe it really was that diabolical of a refereeing job. But I do want to say something, and that is... If Matthew Carley was incompetent, can we just bear in mind, it's very unlikely it was deliberate. It's very unlikely that he's biased. It's very unlikely he's trying to help Wales win. And it's very likely that he was doing the best job he possibly can. Now, I know this isn't a very popular thing to say, but I do actually think you have to kind of give a shit about the fact that these are people, right? These referees, they're doing their job as best they can. And just like a player, if, if a rugby player has a terrible game, yeah, you can mention that he had a bad game. You can even suggest that he shouldn't be in the team. But you don't want to go after him en masse. You, know, you don't want the whole rugby public to, to just scream into the, into the, I almost said void, but it's not a void. Scream at the player himself you're a fucking joke, you're terrible, you should be ashamed of yourself. I mean, you know, be kind. I sound like such a twat. This is everything I normally stand against. But I do think that we as rugby fans can get a little bit carried away when it comes to criticizing referees. Now, by all means, say it was a terrible, it was a terrible refereeing job, but, you know, and, and 
I'm sure I'm not speaking to people that did this, but there were some really nasty comments. And even mainstream media were starting to promote some of it. And I just think, you know, what are you going to do if Matthew Carley kills himself? Which he won't. I know that. But I mean, like, I would. If I was a referee and I refereed that match and I saw some of the comments that I saw, I'd be like, well, need to find another job. And maybe that's, maybe that was, maybe everyone would applaud when I did. But I don't know. I took too long with that, but basically I'm just saying I think people can be a little bit um, over the top when it comes to criticizing referees and we may have gone – we have we have gone too far as a sport, you know. Um, that's all. But like I said, I'm a fucking idiot because I didn't even see the second half and if I'd seen it, for all I know, I'd have flown to France to uh, punch him in the face. I don't know. I just don't know. Um but that was the Wales Fiji game. Great game. I'm going to watch the second half. I'm going to try to, and then I'll be able to um, either justify my statements or come back and apologize for being completely wrong. Uh, do you know what? I think that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about because we're we're pushing up to close to 50 minutes or so, and that's a long podcast for me. Um, we're playing Japan, aren't we, on Sunday? That's too long. I don't want to wait till Sunday. Um, I think England have to, for the most part, play their best team because the same reason I said in the warm-up games, just keep picking your best team as best you can. If someone needs a bit of a rest, stick them on the bench, you know, but for the most part, we need to treat this like knockout stage rugby because we need to improve quickly, and we are. Against Japan, I'd like to see against Japan, I'd like to see uh, more of the same, but I'd like to see England, you know, get their basics right and attack a little bit more. Um, and I think we will. I th- I, I'm, I don't want to jinx us or anything. You know, before this Argentina match, I was worried about pretty much every game. Certainly Argentina, certainly Japan, certainly Samoa. But I'm, I'm already more scared of Samoa than I am Japan. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Eddie Stevens S at Eddie Stevens with an extra S at the end of it. Follow me on Instagram at Eddie Stevens Massive. Follow me on TikTok at Eddie Stevens Zero. Um, uh, f- subscribe to my YouTube channel. I said I was going to make more videos and I haven't yet, but I have recorded them. I just didn't like them, so I deleted them, which I do a lot. Uh, Rugby Ranta Banter on YouTube. Uh, I also have an Eddie Stevens training YouTube channel, which has no training on it. Um, just a bunch of shit about a disease I used to have. You can follow that too if you want. You can follow whatever you want, all right? It's a free country, free planet. Um, I'll be back next week. Okay, bye.